This message first aired on the radio on September 18, 2003. Now, we've been studying the Word of God. We're studying not the dispensation of the church, which is his body, which is the one that we're living in. We live in that dispensation, so we're free to study other dispensations, including, we might say, the one nearest by uh, the dispensation of law from which we get the Ten Commandments. And it is the dispensation beginning with the birth of the nation Israel and continuing till the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And really, thank God we're not in that dispensation. I can tell you that if I was in Israel at the time of the writing of the law, whether or not I would be executed or not, I don't know, but I certainly deserved to be executed under a rock pile numerous times in my life. And I trust if you'll examine carefully, you'll see that you also would deserve that punishment. But that being not carried out often, if sometimes at all, there's some question as to whether or not the children of Israel ever carried out uh, the stoning of rebellious children. It certainly doesn't seem to be so. We see so many of them in the history of Israel. But that being said, we are finding in this dispensation lessons, particular lessons, about God's faithfulness and about man's, especially through, as we look at Israel, man's unfaithfulness. But interestingly, we also have seen when Gentiles have opportunity for God's mercy and God's grace that they also fail to receive the grace of God. So don't be boasting against the Jewish roots, you former Gentiles, because we're no better. But we do see as a great study in human behavior as we see the unfaithfulness of men. And where we left off was we're watching the slow, painful, but certain demise of King Saul, man's man in high place. Now, it's interesting to see God's man in a high place and how a man of character conducts himself, and we can see that to a large extent as we study the scriptures of David. I personally think this uh, Roy Moore, he's become a hero of mine because he seems to be a fine man in a high place, a brother in the Lord, holding to that which is true and holding steadfastly. In fact, it's not the breadth of his hold that oppresses me, but the depth of it. He just won't be moved. And as he pointed out, it's been a decade, and he's just immovable. And what a problem of one man holding to truth is, even for a whole nation. But leaving that off, we look at this sad case of the demise of Saul, and we've left Saul in a pathetic state to where he has become, though he loves him, he's this contradiction, though he has loved David, he has become David's enemy, and the reason that he has become David's enemy is because of his jealousy and his tenacious desire to hold on to an office for which he is disqualified, and that is king of Israel. And this, by the way, is one aspect of covetousness. Covetousness was against anything that is thy neighbor's when you desired anything that is thy neighbor's. And Saul knows that the kingship of Israel belongs to someone else. It belongs to David. And yet he tenaciously desires to hold on to it in the face of what he knows. So we're finding every kind of evil doing uh, in Saul. Now, We left Saul trying to throw spears, chucking spears at David, uh, trying to pin him to the wall, trying to kill him. We didn't cover this, but Saul actually turned on his own son, Jonathan, and called him an enemy 
because Jonathan had love and regard for David and because uh, Jonathan tried to stop Saul from being so foolish with David. And we found that David had to run away. And he hid in the cave of Dulam. And while he was in the cave of Dulam, those who were discontented, for Samuel 22, verse 2, everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And so David now, a captain of a ragtag bunch, a captain of the miserable ones, and who have gone outside of the nation of Israel, have gone outside the comforts to gather themselves to him. And we see there a picture of we who have gone outside the camp to associate with our Lord Jesus Christ while he is in rejection. And so now David is on the run. He's a man on the run and finding the grace of God as he runs. And as he continues to run from Saul, he finds uh, some uh, place of grace among the enemies of Israel, among the Gentiles. And from there, he begins to fight the Gentile enemies of the nation of Israel. And so we saw the equivalence, and we saw the equation of David's fighting while in rejection to our own role, while the Lord Jesus Christ is in rejection, being gathered unto him and conducting a spiritual war. Well, as God arranges matters, God arranged uh, Saul chasing David, David running from Saul. It tells us in 1 Samuel 24, and here we learn a little of the character of each. It tells us in 1 Samuel 24, It came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men. That was like 400 men. So they outnumber him about 9 to 1, 8 to 1, to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Now I've been in in Gedi. In fact, it's near the Dead Sea. Uh, There's a nice uh, moshav there that's been established there. Maybe there's more than one, but I, I stayed at a nice moshav, which is sort of a capitalistic uh, limited liability kibitzum and beautiful place as long as you have water but it's a stinking wilderness without it and this was the place where if you go deep ways away and up high ground from the dead sea of course you have to go high ground from the dead sea but continue to go up into the rocks they believe they can identify the cave of adulam there and saul came to the sheep coats verse three by the way where there was a cave So you're going to have to check out all the caves. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides or in the deep recesses of the cave. So here's Saul actually walking into the cave where David and his men are. And the men of David said unto David, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it seemed good unto thee. So here they say, God has delivered Saul into your hand, David. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately, or privily. So David sneaks up and chops off the skirt of Saul's robe. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. So he cut a little piece of Saul's robe off just to do it, 
maybe just to be daring and to prove to himself that he could do it. I'm a daring fellow, David, anyway. And and a rough a rough character, David. And now he gets a bad conscience about it. It says his heart smote him. Let me pause for a minute. You know, David at least had a heart that could be smitten. Brother, sister, do you have a smitable heart? Do you have a heart that can be reached? So many of us have become so hardened that our hearts do not rapidly react to our own wrongdoing. You say, well, what did David do that was wrong? Well, he thought it was wrong what he did to Saul. He was one-upping Saul. He thought it was wrong. And to him that thinks it's sin, it is sin. And here he has a bad conscience about it. His heart smote him. Can you have a bad conscience? Do you immediately come away from that thing that gives you the bad conscience? Uh, You ought to. David did. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. He felt bad about cutting the guy's coat, let alone doing any harm to Saul. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise again against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeks thy hurt. So now he's ascribing to Saul the best of motives, that Saul is obviously listening to the wrong kinds of people, and that's why he's after David. Well, that's not exactly the case. That's not really what happened here. And it goes on a bit, and he says, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. So there's David now pointing out that he's not going to be lawless, that he is not going to take the law into his own hands, as so many do. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept, And he said unto David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. Now you think about this conflicted fellow, and you think about a man who's his own worst enemy, and you will see the double-minded Saul of Kish. And what a pathetic situation he's in, but what a wonderful condition it is to have a sensitive conscience and to be able to freely act out of your conscience, uh, as David did. Well, we'll take up more of this when we come back after this brief pause. So now we're looking at David, who is a better man than Saul, as Saul says. By his own testimony, he condemns himself. And that's what, really, men opposing themselves are. The Bible says they are self-condemned. The Bible says men who divide against God's people, who are against God's people, here Saul against uh, David, really, proving himself against Jonathan and the people at one time, and now against David. He's really against the children of Israel. And when a man is against God's own people, it says that he is a self-condemned man. And that's what Saul is. And we now see David in verse 26, having had an opportunity to kill Saul once, 
we see that opportunity again so that really in the mouths of two witnesses or two occasions, David is clear from answering back the hatred of Saul with his own hatred. In fact, he answers back uh, love for hatred as he seeks Saul's good. So we begin reading in 1 Samuel 26 more about David as he asserts himself as morally the claimant of king of Israel. The Ziphites came down to Gibeah, saying, Does not David hide himself in the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. He's got these three thousand top-end guys, and he carts them around. What's he doing? He's chasing David. He's chasing after his personal enemy, David. But what isn't Saul doing? You ever wonder what Saul's not doing? That's right. Saul is not attacking the Philistines. Saul is not trying to deliver the children of Israel from their true captors. He's not trying to rescue Israel and give peace to Israel as a savior or a judge would or as a true king of Israel would. In fact, he seeks only his own. He does not seek the things of another. Friends, do you want to know who a, an honest, true sh- under-shepherd below the Lord Jesus Christ is? You want to know who shepherd, who is the shepherd of the sheep? He is the one that seeks the benefit of others and not his own self or to the damage of his own self. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hakalah, verse 3 of 1 Samuel 26, which is before Jessamon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. Now what's happening here is that Saul is busy when he hears word from spies where David is. He chases after him with 3,000 top-end guys. But what David is doing, David is learning We might say guerrilla warfare, but really, David is learning warfare. David has always been a better warrior than Saul, and he is learning warfare, and he's a warrior now. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his host. And Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. So here David comes upon the camp of Saul, And Saul is being guarded, and he's inside of a barricade with the people pitched all around him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench or the barricade, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster, but Abner and the people lay round about him. So here is the head guy, it's King Saul, his spear stuck in the ground near his head, by the head side of his of his tent, he's no probably in a tent. And then said Abishai to David, God has delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day, now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. So Abishai's suggestion here, brother to Joab, brother to Abner, his suggestion is, how about I just pin this guy right to the earth? 
I can take his own spear and drive it right through him one time, and that'll be the end of him. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So here David respects the office, not the officer. And Saul, though pretender, is the king of Israel. David hasn't been anointed by the people yet. He hasn't been even chosen by his own tribe, Judah, yet. He hasn't been, though he's well-received. And so now he hasn't ascended into the throne. He hasn't taken the position yet. He's the king of Israel, but we do not see all things under him in Israel at this time. David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. David said, He's not going to die by my hand. He's going to die by the hand of the Lord. I'm not going to raise my hand up. I will give place for the Lord's timing, and I will give place for the Lord's vengeance. Now what great lesson there is there. Let me read now verse 11. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand, against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee now, take the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water, and let's go. He's got a bottle of water there, and he's got his spear, and they say, well, we'll just take those two things and leave. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster near his head, and they got them away, and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. It's an interesting thing. The Lord now brings Saul again into David's hand, and the Lord puts a very deep sleep on all the soldiers around Saul so that David can really do whatever he wants, and he determines that he'll take Saul's spear and Saul's bottle of water. Then David went over to the other side and stood on top of a hill far off, a great space dividing between them, that is, between his forces and the forces of Saul. And David cried to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not? Abner, then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that cries to the king? And David said to Abner, Are not thou a valiant man who is like thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord thy king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. This is not good that thou wast done. As the Lord liveth, you are worthy to die, because you have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice and said, and here we see more of the mind of Saul now. That's what we're looking at here. Is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore does my lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one does hunt a partridge in the mountains. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool, and have erred exceedingly. 
And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and fetch it. The Lord rendered to every man his righteousness and faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt do great things, and thou shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Now maybe you think that's a reconciliation, but David has come to learn something all about this fellow Saul. And what he has learned is this guy is no good. And so we find in 1 Samuel 27, David said in his heart, this is what he believed in his heart, I will one day perish by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so I will escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with six hundred men with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. Now, this fellow Achish, the king of Gath, this is where Goliath came from. Remember, this is the enemy that Saul could never fight. This is the enemy that Saul could not face, let alone defeat. And so David now seeks to be, now he comes to Ziklag, and he is now held in abeyance from Saul because he's associated with Achish of Gath. And when we see this about David, we see something also about Saul. And this is really more of a study at this point of the demise of Saul, at least the way I'm looking at it and the way I'm seeing it, more of a study of the demise of Saul uh, than it is the rise of David. Because here now that David is with the Philistines, now David's not going to fight against the children of Israel, and the Philistines accept David because they say, look, he's with us. He's made to stink to the children of Israel, so we don't have to worry about him. But it tells us that with Samuel now dead, And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. So Saul had executed sorcerers, those with familiar spirits, and wizards. These are demonized people. Familiar spirits, by the way, are demons that pretend to be dead people. So maybe you've seen some or heard about these so-called mediums who associate with demons and then pretend to be the dead relatives. Those are familiar spirits. There are also these wizards who are those who practice dark arts associated with demons in order to be in the know. And that still goes on. There are such people. It tells us the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. Now, here, Saul won't chase after David because he's among the Philistines. And now the Philistines have gathered themselves against Israel, and Saul still is afraid of the Philistines. And now he doesn't have David to fight his battles for him. And he can't turn to the Lord. He has not, He doesn't have Samuel to give him the word of the Lord. The Lord won't speak to him. But worse than that, Saul 
is not content to wait for the Lord to speak to him. It tells us in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 28, When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams nor by Urim, that's the one of the stones, that's the lights, out of the bag of the of the high priest, nor by prophets. So this is what God does when he brings in the, his awful judgment to his own. He stops speaking to them. He stops speaking to them. When God took his word from Israel and to the Gentiles, it was an awesome judgment. In fact, Saul, a picture of Israel in many ways, in its failure. And no longer will God speak to Saul. And by the way, that's a horrible judgment. If you're a child of God today and you don't hear the Lord's voice anymore, God has brought an awful judgment to you. You need to turn from your sins. You need to wait on the Lord and see if he won't have mercy on you. It's a horrible thing for God no longer to speak. And so what does what does Saul do? When God won't speak to him, he does the thing that Saul always does. He takes it upon himself to do something else. And now this is the final demise of Saul. It tells us, Then Saul said to his servants, Seek me a woman that has a familiar spirit. Isn't that interesting, that the woman has the familiar spirit? This is, you know, your Miss Cleo types and other other goofy, mediumistic women. And I say goofy because they behave goofy, but that doesn't mean for one second that they're not in association with these familiar spirits because they are. And he goes down, it tells us here this, find what he tells his servants, go find me a woman. And his servant said to him, behold, there is a woman that has a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguising himself and put on other raiment, he went and two men with him, And they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And Saul has now turned to demon spirits instead of the Lord. And no surprise, we read in the scripture, for example, in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and teaching demons. There is such a thing as turning from the truth and turning to demons. It's when you turn away from the Lord, when you can no longer hear the Lord's voice, it is the case that you will begin to listen to demons. This is a horrible thing that's happened to Saul. What will rescue him from this terrible state? Will he just finish himself in this terrible state? Well, we'll look at this when we come back. We'll see the final demise of Saul. But let me tell you something. It is is not pretty. As I look at this story about Saul, and we look at the account of Saul, as he turns to demon spirits, he turns to a medium, and he's in a state of, we would just say temporary, or maybe permanent insanity. He loses his mind. I think of what the scriptures do for us. Paul told Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power love, and a sound mind. And certainly Saul puts away the sound mind that is given to the believer and exchanges the truth for a lie here. But really, worse than that, he now hearkens to demon spirits and turns to, instead of faith, he turns to mindless superstition and a communion with demons. And so this woman, who has a familiar spirit, 
asks him, and I won't go through a lot of the details of this account here. It's a profitable study, but I'm going to touch on a couple of things. But the main thing I want to tell you is this is not about Samuel. This is about Saul. And the woman asks him, who should I bring up? And he says, bring me up Samuel. And now the woman, it says in the scripture, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Well, certainly a demon spirit can know who you are. And, in fact, uh, demon spirits at one place told certain uh, vagabond exorcists in the book of Acts, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And Saul says to her, Be not afraid. Who do you see? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said to her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man comes up, he's covered with a mantle. Now, Saul doesn't see anything. I want you to see that. Saul doesn't see a thing. Saul is listening to a medium. Saul is in communication with a woman here who is obsessed with a demon spirit. Saul is talking to a demon, a deceiving spirit. He is not talking to uh, Samuel. There is no Samuel here. There is a description of a man by the woman. Saul sees nothing at all. And then the woman, as if Samuel, Saul perceived that it was Samuel. It didn't say it is Samuel. It wasn't Samuel. Saul perceived it was Samuel and stooped his face to the ground about himself. And so now he's bowing down to a demon spirit. This is how horrible, this is how pathetic, this is how deranged and degraded that the king of Israel has become. And let me tell you something. You read accounts of how a president of the United States used to solicit from his wife his astrological forecasts. You hear how the wife of another president used to believe she was speaking with a dead woman, a dead former first lady. And maybe you laugh about that, or maybe you make jokes about that, but here we see the leader of the children of Israel in communion with a demon. And the sum total of what happens, verse 20, Saul fell straightway all along the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he'd eaten no bread all day or all night. He almost went into a catatonic state, and he won't eat and he's in a stunned state, and this woman, who's the medium, has to feed Saul. It's just a pathetic, has to feed him and bring him back to his strength. So this now is the spiritual end of Saul. Saul spiritually is ended, and worse than that, we find his final state. In fact, those Philistines that he would never fight, those Philistines that he would never face, are not the real ones that killed him. These were the enemies that scared him and that maybe brought him to realize his worst fears. But we read now this. This is 1 Samuel 31. The Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. So the first thing that happened, Saul realized the death of his own three sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded, or mortally wounded, by one of the archers. 
Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through, and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he likewise fell upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, the same day together by the Philistines. So you'd say, well, the enemy that he never faced finally overcame him. And that would be true to a large extent. But it's not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. To find really what destroyed Saul, we need to look at the next section in Second Samuel, the first chapter. And this pathetic section is very instructive. We'll just read from the beginning, verse 1. It came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag. So here David uh, destroyed the Amalekites. Of course, the Amalekites always team up with whoever is the enemy of Israel. They attack from behind. Remember, they're sneaky, and they're a picture of the old flesh. So what really happened to Saul? Or as some have said, who really killed King Saul? It came to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head, And so it was, when he came to David, that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, That the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are are dead. And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Then when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he said unto me, And I answered, Here am I. Now here's the account. The account is Saul fell on his spear, but he was still alive. And he said unto me, Who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. There it is. Saul, in his death, can't even die until he faces an Amalekite. Not a Philistine, necessarily, you see. Not a Philistine. Allied with the Philistines? Yeah, well, not the Philistines. Not the enemy that God guaranteed that he would get a victory over, but he would not fight. But the old flesh, the Amalekite. You remember the Amalekite? Remember how Saul spared the king of the Amalekites and it was for Samuel to kill the king of the Amalekites? You remember Saul never slayed the Amalekites. He let the Amalekites hang around. Now at his death, I am an Amalekite. He said unto me, Stand, I pray thee, upon me and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. 
And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men, and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote that Amalekite, and he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth has testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. Now let me bring this to a head, and then we'll close for the day. Let me just finish this. This is a picture of that believing person who refuses to put to death the old flesh, but who lives according to the flesh. He just has to keep the best of the flesh. He just can't go the way of the cross. He won't go the way of the crucified life because he just needs his flesh. And this is a picture of Saul. What a pathetic thing that at his death he doesn't have peace with God, but he has only that old Amalekite there to slay him. Who killed Saul? Well, in a spiritual sense, Saul killed Saul. And it's a pathetic thing. And it's a great lesson for us. And we'll take up the story of David, maybe of a better, maybe of a more pleasant story, as we continue in this study. But for now, just enjoy this hymn, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. This is John Malone with BibleStudy.net.